I think if you look at individual studies, I think most of them, the acute studies would suggest there comes a point within a training session where doing more doesn't seem to drive the response anymore. Meaning two sets might be better than one set. Three sets might be better than two sets. But at some point, doing more is not better. Hey guys, what's coming up here is a really epic podcast episode with Dr. Jeremy Lenecke on training volume, training frequency, and the size-strength relationship. And if you're interested in unconventional thoughts on these topics, then you're going to like this episode. Before we get into this episode, though, I just quickly want to tell you that some really exciting stuff are happening in sustainable self-development land as of recent times. And as of lately, the sustainable self-development group has been brought to life more than ever. We have over a thousand awesome members and have daily discussions over some of the most interesting nutrition and training concepts. Also, the Norwegian mastermind himself, Berge Fagerli, has gotten on board not long ago and he's spreading his knowledge there too. And as of late, we've been doing these really awesome Q&A sessions with Berge in the group where we answer some of the best nutrition and training questions that have come in the group. So if you have not done so already, then be sure to go to facebook.com slash sustainable self-development and join the group. Also, you might wanna know that Berge and I are currently working on a really epic training template, which will allow you to get, in our estimation, the best possible training stimulus without having to spend endless hours in the gym and pounding yourself with a bajillion sets every week and burning yourself out. And if this is something that sounds interesting to you, then head over to sustainableselfdevelopment.com and you can claim a 20% discount on this upcoming training template. All right, that's enough of the shameless plugging for now. And with that, let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in. And in this episode, I'm excited to talk once again with Dr. Jeremy Lenecke, who was on the podcast before. And in that time, we were talking about blood flow restriction training. That's still a mouthful. And in this episode, we are going to talk about muscle growth, volume recommendations, and periodization, and some cool stuff like that, uh, because Jeremy has some pretty unconventional thoughts on the topic, which kind of goes against with what some of the industry leaders tend to say on these topics these days. So I'm excited to talk to him about these things. So um, first of all, Dr. Lenicky, thank you for taking the time. And how are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me back on. I'm doing pretty well. How, how are you doing? Yeah, me too. And I'm just curious, uh, how is your how do you feel is your not reputation is the right word. But um, what do you think is the general picture about you in the industry these days, uh, after saying some controversial stuff about some hypertrophy and muscle growth related topics lately? Oh, uh, well, yeah, well, I, I don't know. I don't speak for other people on that. But I think that uh, we're asking some good questions. I think we're leading to some good research questions. So I think some people uh, probably hear that, you know, hear someone uh, questioning whether or not muscle hypertrophy is important, and they immediately are probably skeptical of that of of, of that criticism or of that question, um, which I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think when something's been said for a, lot, a long time and somebody else speaks out against that or says that maybe that's not quite as true as we thought it once was, I think it makes a lot of sense to be skeptical of that person. So I think sometimes... When we say that, I think people are a little, not uneasy, but they're a little unsure of what we're talking about, given that they think it's probably pretty well established. So I think that's probably more of what it is. I think it's something that's been thought for so long um, that I think anytime someone comes out and says, maybe not, I think that's going to be met with some criticism. So I, I think it's fair, 
So I, I think it is what it is. Sure, sure. Um, and and so we are going to talk about some of these topics today. And uh, perhaps let's start with what would you say are some of the top topics which you made your stance on and uh, provoke some kind of uh, mixed responses in the industry. So you mentioned earlier the strength and size relationship. Um, what other topics like that were there? Yeah, I think that, you know, we've just started asking a lot of questions. And I think a lot of it has centered around initially uh, how much of a role does the change in muscle size play with the change in muscle strength? I think that's really been kind of the the, the center. And, and from that, you know, we've kind of, you know, discussed what is the role that periodization plays with those changes in muscle size, changes in muscle strength? Does it actually have a relevant role or is it, or is its role uh, maybe more so to do with athletics or, or things like that? Because I think for a long time, at least maybe not for a long time, but recently it was, it, it's kind of got this idea that you have to periodize your training for optimal changes in muscle size and strength. And I think that we were skeptical of that claim. And I think when looking through the literature, um, I think we've been justified in being skeptical. Um, I think the other thing is probably one of the ideas behind the found, you know, quote unquote foundations of periodization is that it's centered around this concept of the general adaptation syndrome. And, and at least our opinion, and uh, not everybody agrees with this, and, and that's okay. But I, I think our opinion is, is that the general adaptation syndrome really has little relevance for what happens when someone lifts weights. Um, but again, I think that's just, you know, kind of our thinking and we've written, uh, we've written on that. Other people, uh, don't agree with that and, and that's fine. That's what science is. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so maybe let's, let's start with, um, what, what would you say? I mean, I think this is a question that typically the answer that I tend to hear the most is that nobody understands exactly, uh, what the mechanism is, but what would you say is in a nutshell is what's causing muscle growth? Yeah, I think it, I think what causes muscle growth from exercise is is probably uh, a local response. Meaning, the, there's some intracellular mechanism that's sensing tension and causing probably some signal to grow. Um, as it relates to exercise, that does seem to be a very local response. Now, what that muscle growth um, does, I think, is another question. Um, but I think that. Why does muscle grow? I think it's uh, mostly mechanical, and it's, I think it's a local response. Right. So, um, and and then when when we think about this mechanism, uh, what do you think is the the most efficacious way to actually induce this this uh, change on a cellular level or tissue level? How how do you think we are best um, to to target this through exercise? Yeah, I think with muscle growth, I think it's um, the good news is, is that you can do a wide range of things, meaning that it's really to, to some degree up to your, your preference of how you like to train, meaning um, there's a, a, a decent amount of evidence, if not a large amount of evidence, that low loads um, as low as 20 or 30 percent, and we have some data coming out soon that maybe even lower than that. Uh, are able to stimulate changes in muscle size uh, pretty similar to that of high load exercise. So, I think in general, I think if, if people are going in and they're trying and they're training a muscle group, you know, a couple times a week and they're hitting it, you know, four to five sets uh, per session, uh, they're probably more or less maximizing that signal to grow, and that can that can happen from you know uh, intensities or, or loads as low as twenty or thirty percent of your max 
up to 70, 80%. So I think the, the, the training for muscle growth is, is relatively easy. If you do enough work within a session, you're going to uh, basically tax that muscle enough to stimulate to stimulate it to grow. And I think that there's a, a lot of evidence that suggests that this happens over a wide range uh, of relative percentages of your 1RM. Now, we would probably just recommend that you take those sets to to or near failure. You don't have to go to failure. There's no evidence that says that you have to reach absolute failure. But I think if you are training with low loads or even with high loads, if you're training to or pretty close to muscular failure, that's probably going to be uh, at least give you some indication that uh, you're probably maximizing the response of that muscle. Sure. Um, so let's, um, you, you mentioned uh, briefly doing enough work within the session. So how do you uh, think these days about training volume? Because I, I recall you saying certain things that went, went a little bit against the grain uh, compared to one of the recent meta-analytic uh, recommendations for training volume seems seem to be? Um, I don't know. I, I think that how we define volume or how we define matching volume, I, I think th those there's a lot of issues no matter how you want to do that. Um, but I, I think in general, I think, um, I think if you look at individual studies, I think most of them, the acute studies would suggest there comes a point within a training session where doing more doesn't seem to drive the response anymore. Meaning, Two sets might be better than one set. Three sets might be better than two sets. But at some point, doing more is not better. And, and what is that magical number? I don't know that anyone knows that. But it's probably, you know, three or four sets would be my guess. Three to four sets to failure is probably going to do it um, within a training session. If you want to do more, do more. But just understand that there's probably a point where doing more is not giving you more of a response. It's just delaying uh, your recovery. And... That's that's observed even in the chronic training literature where you double the sets and you don't necessarily get more adaptation, which suggests that the muscle in a given training session can only respond so much. So you can you can pull a bunch of studies together that are um, that all had different. They all measured the same things, but they were all done differently. You can get a lot of different values through meta-analyses and, and those are meta-analyses are valuable. But I think that um, we have to keep in mind what were these studies trying to do? What were they measuring? How were they measuring it? And I think a lot of that can be missed when you pull a bunch of studies together. Yeah, you know, it's um, so we are going to dig into this a little bit more. But I mean, for anybody listening, and just as I was listening to you, I mean, intuitively, it makes sense. Because, for example, you could be doing six sets of straight sets when you're keeping the load on the bar. But if you only approach failure on your very last set, it's not the same as doing six sets to failure, because essentially, the first couple of sets were almost just warm-up sets. So, so so, you mentioned those three sets might be better than two. So I guess it's impossible to give an exact number on this, but what would be your best estimate at this point? Like where does the diminishing returns gets too, too big to actually make it worthwhile to pound in more volume within one single session? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think that's a, it's a tough, it's a tough answer to give. I think it's, um, an impossible answer to know what is optimal. I don't even know what optimal means, but I think that um, I think you're. I think if you have somebody going to the gym and they're doing, uh, they're hitting quads and they do three to four sets on an exercise to close to you know uh, or close to failure, uh, they're probably you know largely maximizing that signal. If they want to be sure, then they can do another exercise or they can do more sets. But my my guess would be, especially on on a single joint movement, that you know, three to four sets to failure 
Um, assuming you're doing more than just two reps, you know, I think there comes a point where the, the, the load might be too high where you're not doing enough. But I think that, three, you know, three to four sets, you know, close to failure, that's probably good enough. If, if you want to do more because you enjoy doing more or you just want to make sure, then do more. But I, I think that the, the general message needs to be that um, people just have to keep in mind that at some point, and, and I think it's going to come pretty early on, um, around three to four sets, at some point, you're probably not getting more out of that. And, and, and what that is, I, I don't know, but I, I, my guess would be three to four sets uh, for a muscle group in a, in a training session. But if you want to be sure, um, then do another exercise with three to four sets, and, and I would be shocked if that didn't maximize it. Right, right. So um, what about uh, how does frequency tie into this? So, um, And I guess if we multiply those two, that kind of adds up to your weekly volume. But um, so three, four sets to failure or at least close to failure would be your best estimates. And what kind of frequencies are we talking about for quote-unquote optimality? Yeah, so I think the, the frequency uh, argument, and we wrote a paper about this where we, where we put forth kind of you know, it's more or less a hypothesis of frequency. And we're not the only ones to be thinking about this either. But I think the the, the concept behind that hypothesis of increasing your frequency of training <clears throat> centers around the idea that at some point doing more in a training session doesn't give you any more uh, out of the muscle. So when we talk about frequency or when I talk about frequency, what we're referring to is the number of days per week you're training each muscle group. So not the number of days you're training necessarily, but the number of days you're training each muscle. So I think the frequency hypothesis got set up based on the idea that if I do six sets, it's probably not better than doing three sets. So what if I just took those extra three sets and then trained it again later on in the week? So I've spread out that volume throughout the week uh, to try and maximize this, this concept of increasing uh, muscle protein synthesis multiple times per week. Now, I think the hypothesis itself makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense that taking that volume and spreading it out is going to give you more out of the, more out of the system. But when we look at the literature, it, there's just not a lot to suggest that going over um, two or three days per week is going to give you that much more. And it seems to be around two days per week um, from the best that I can tell. Uh, so when we look at the frequency literature – there are some caveats to keep in mind. One is that the, the way that a lot of the studies have estimated muscle size or estimated changes in muscle size are off of basically uh, measurements that really don't measure the muscle, uh, meaning that they're using DEXA, they're using a bod pod, skin fold. So they're just estimating lean mass. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something to consider. Um, and I think that the other thing to consider is, is that the differential within the studies is pretty small, meaning that the high-frequency group versus the low frequency group uh, usually has a differential of about one and a half, meaning that, or about one, meaning that the high frequency group may train three times per week, but the low frequency group is training two times per week. So there's not a big spread there. Yeah. Um, so I think that the, the argument for frequency is that you can't get more out of the system within a given training session once you hit a certain point. But I think the argument against training frequency is that once you get beyond two days per week, there's not a lot of evidence that you're doing much more. Um, so you can come up with all these good reasons as to why, and, and trust me, we have. Um, but it just doesn't seem like it's panning out uh, to a large extent. And, and it could be about how we're measuring it. It could be the study designs. But as of now, there's just not a lot of evidence that training a muscle group more than two times per week is going to give you that much more uh, of an effect. 
And 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 how do you think about that <clears throat> at the moment? Or is your thinking more along the lines of you would still think that there is, you're just not sure why it didn't pan out so far and you would expect it to pan out in the future? Or yeah, like how do you think about that at the moment? I, I would I would kind of just state that one, just another thing to keep in mind is, is that muscle is going to um, grow up until a point and then it's going to stop growing. Muscle growth, um, at least I would hypothesize, is not an infinite process, meaning that you can't just infinitely keep increasing muscle size. So I think that's I think that's an important concept to understand when we start trying to think about reasons on or about different methods on how to keep squeezing more out, uh, so to speak. So I think that if I was trying to get as big as possible, I would probably try and keep uh, pushing the frequency and, and playing around with it just to see if I could get a little bit more. With the understanding that there's going to come a point where I'm going to change and, and, and increase more and more and nothing's going to change with my muscle size. Um, so I think if I was um, trying to, to make the muscle grow as large as possible, I would train um, in, a, in an effect to try and keep increasing the frequency up to a point. But uh, I'm not sure if I'm making any sense with that. But I think that if I had to guess, I don't think you're going to get much more. Maybe you get more out of three days than two days. Uh, not that there's a lot of evidence for that, but I think anything beyond two or three days per week is probably overkill. If I had to, if I had to just guess. Sure, sure. Uh, no, this is this is super interesting, and and uh, there's a lot of cool follow-up questions that I can think of right now. So um, one is, so let's say we have a hypothetical person who started out with doing three sets, maybe two days a week. He melted it for what that's worth, stopped growing at that rate or at, with that amount of work and that frequency. Maybe then edited it up to four sets twice per week, then eventually he got to the point where he's doing four sets three days per week and he stopped growing. How would you increase from there? Would you try adding it, adding in a fourth day and do two sets or maybe reduce the per session volume on all days and do that four days a week or increase the per session volume? How would you go forward from there? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think that um, you bring up the obvious point of um, – if, if, if you're going to be increasing frequency to keep stimulating at some point, you're not going to be able to increase the frequency anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, increasing it to four or five days per week, I think at some point you, you're, you're not going to be able to um, maybe recover from some of the other exercises that you're doing. Um, but I think that we've hypothesized this idea of maybe if you start to back down the frequency or even maybe even detrain for a, a few weeks just stop training maybe you can kind of reset the system to where uh the muscle responds as if it's naive to exercise now there's some we discussed that in that paper and there's some animal data and, and a little bit of human data that suggests that maybe that makes sense but there's just not a lot of data to suggest that the end result is any different meaning that yeah you can reset the muscle and it responds as if it was naive to exercise and all these intracellular systems are looking like wow they're, they're going to really produce a change in growth but the end product at six months is still the same. Mm. So I, my, what I would do is I would probably increase it up to about three or four days and that'd probably be about it. Um, and maybe you could play around with the, the, the control detraining if your effort is to just try and keep increasing. But again, I, I think we have to keep in mind that adaptation is not going to just go sure. on forever. Um, <clears throat> now, um, question off of that is and i'll try to frame this in a way that it will actually make sense so a lot of the um, high intensity uh kind of proponents you know the guys who will say just do one set maybe once a week or something and 
that will get you your best results. And then when people ask them, well, what about the guys who are getting huge and they are doing a lot more volume than that? They will say, well, they just have incredible genetics and they are growing despite of what they're doing and they could grow just as much doing much less volume. So my question is when you see these guys who do maybe 20 sets per week and they are just distributing that over two sessions, do you think that they are they could get just as good results doing much less or it is actually the case for them that they are benefiting from doing that much volume and they would grow less from doing less and their yeah. genetic giftedness is actually manifesting in that they are just somehow able to benefit from that much volume. I think that there's there's plenty of uh, of people who as you mentioned train each body part once per week and they grow a lot. Um, and then you have the guys who are training multiple times per week, each muscle group at least, um, and also increasing a lot. And I think if, if I had to guess, I would probably guess that the two days is probably going to be a little bit better. Um, and that people are, are more than capable, even people who have, you know, mere mortals, as Stu Phillips would say, uh, they are more than capable of recovering from training a muscle group two times per week. We've had older uh, men and women in the lab, um, who we trained to failure three times per week, each muscle group three times per week. And they had no problems recovering from that. I, I think a lot of it, to be honest, comes down to what do you, what, what does an individual prefer to do? What's going to keep them in the gym? And I think that the, I think that's one of the things to, to probably keep in mind if they just enjoy training one day per week and, and just absolutely obliterating it, their, their muscle, then more power to them. Maybe they don't. Maybe if they went to two days per week, maybe they, they wouldn't like it as much and they'd stop training. And then they, they, it certainly wouldn't be beneficial for muscle size. If I had to guess what would be quote unquote optimal for muscle growth, I would say probably training the muscle probably around two times per week. Um, and we talked about there's a diminishing returns with the frequency, but probably two times per week. I think there's some good evidence for that. But if someone doesn't want to train two times per week, then it makes sense to just do one time per week. And I think this is where we get into a lot of trouble in, in the industry because we, we, we start to confuse what we prefer for what's best or what's, what the evidence says. And then sometimes I think it's even, even if two days per week is better, if that's not what we like to do, then I think we have to stick with what we prefer just to keep getting some adaptation, if that makes any yeah, sense yeah. at all. No, absolutely. And, um, and I'd be wondering... Because it, it almost seems like from your volume and frequency recommendations, it almost seems like uh, when I hear the recommendations for protein, that uh, usually it's given as a total amount per day. But sometimes people just like to think about protein dosing and a frequency of that. So maybe 30 grams of protein three, four times a day or something like that. And it, it almost seems like that with your volume and frequency recommendations, that instead of thinking about weekly volume, you're thinking about per session volume and how many times you're repeating that across the week. So do you still think about total weekly sets uh, and a total amount for those? I, I think that, uh, I think you're right on the, the protein dosing and things like that. And that was a kind of an insp the, the inspiration for the thinking of uh, those multiple stimulations throughout the week. So that's kind of the idea for the protein dosing, the multiple stimulations throughout the day. But I, I, again, I think it's important to keep in mind is, how much long-term data is there that supports that? Um, and it's, it's very minimal. Um, and I think that it's very similar to what we see with exercise that, yeah, every, it all makes sense. It all makes sense in, in this quote unquote theory. But I think that you have to have 
long-term data. At some point, you have to produce the data that suggests that those multiple simulations matter. And we hypothesize that it might, but I think that to, to, to date, there just hasn't been a lot of data that suggests that it, that it does. Um, so the, 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 weekly, the weekly volume, what are you asking about that? Um, well, to put it very simply, what do you think is the total amount of sets per week that's going to be beneficial for most people if there is such a thing? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I Again, I, I think that I, I don't know that we, we know that answer. And I don't know that we can ever get that answer necessarily from a meta-analysis um, where there's so many differences between the studies. But again, I, I guess if I had to guess, I'd probably say... If, if I'm suggesting around three or four sets per training session and training, you know, two times per week, then I would guess around eight to 10 sets um, for a muscle. But again, that's just me speculating. Yeah, I, that is certainly my personal experience, too. And like people that I interacted with, I've seen the same, but I'm really curious Um Curious to eventually find an explanation for these um, recent meta-analytic recommendations or recommendations based on those. What are your thoughts on the concept of progressive overload? So this sort of ties into your thinking, I guess, on the size and strength relationship. But, you know, some people just say that the best way to get bigger is to just, um, you know, pick a moderate rep range, maybe 6 to 15 or 8 to 12 or something like that, and just get as strong as possible in that rep range. What is your thought on this? I don't know that getting as strong as possible is important for muscle growth. Um, but I, I do think that for most people, you know, if you're, if you're training between six to 15 and that's a repetition maximum, meaning that you're going, you're failing somewhere in that rep range and that's how you're training. And then once you get out of that range, you increase the load um, and you keep training like that. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially pragmatically. Um, and I think that's how um, a lot of people train effectively. And that, you know, and that's how they can progress without having to do a one RM test to see now I changed my percentages uh, because, you know, there's a lot of issues with that as well. Um, so I think that setting the, um, a rep range and using that as a, as a, the cue for progressive overload makes a lot of sense. Um, but I think that um, that's makes sense for muscle growth. There's plenty of situations where um you keep a rep range at, at a high rep range, you can simulate muscle growth, but the strength is going to be pretty small relative to lifting a higher load. Um, and our thinking behind that is, is that muscle strength for the most part seems to be kind of a skill. Um, and if you're not lifting heavy, you're not going to be, you're going to get stronger, but you're not going to be as strong as if you were uh, lifting closer to that one RM. And I think there's, there's several studies that indicate that that's true. Yeah. And, and, and with that, what do you think uh, about, for example, James Krieger's recent recommendation, which I found very interesting, which is that a very good cue to use for muscle growth is to look at whether your isolation, kind of more single joint type movements, or, or your, whether you're getting stronger on those as opposed to just looking at your compound movements. So maybe if you're increasing your bench, bench press strength, there might be a lot of neural factors there or maybe... I mean, assuming that there is a good correlation between strength and size, which I know you would contend, but even assuming that there, you might be just getting stronger in other muscle groups, but if you're, for example, getting stronger on your chest flies for multiple sets, then that's a very good indication that you're actually getting bigger. What do you think of that? Uh, I would probably, I, I wouldn't probably, I would definitely disagree with that. I don't know that we can use the change in strength to tell us anything about 
whether or not we're getting larger. I think we can tell if we're getting a muscle bigger by measuring the muscle. And I don't know that strength is going to inform us anything about that. Right. Um, so I think you're, you're thinking on, so for example, one, I mean, this is merely a practical, uh, practical concern, but I mean, I think your line of thinking can be very liberating for many people who might be obsessed a lot over adding weight to the bar all the time. And while that might be possible on movements like the bench press, which we can, you can micro load really well, but if you're using something like a chest press machine, which you might not be able to overload from session to session because the weight increments are like 10 pounds or something. Um, if I'm understanding your thinking correctly, it's not not even necessarily a requirement to add weight to the bar every time, because as long as you're training hard, you're exerting yourself within your sets, that's basically plenty to induce muscle growth. So you could be doing the same reps and the same weight from week to week, and it's not necessarily an issue that you're not adding weight to the bar, because you, as long as you're getting close to failure, you're stimulating muscle growth. Is that the right line of thinking? I think partially. I think that as you get as you adapt to doing those repetitions, though, I think that you will be doing more reps if you're going to reach failure because you're going to get better at doing the exercise. So I think as long as you keep it, keep going to failure um, or, or close to it, I think that, yeah, you don't have to increase the, the load on the bar at all or load on the machine or whatever. I think that um, I think that doing more reps is, is a form of progressive overload. Um, but again, I, I think pragmatically, if I had to just deal with, you know, I, th I think that we have to keep in mind that in a, in a, in a research setting, we're, we're asking and we're answering research questions. Um, this is a, a thing that I try and, and constantly remind people, we are not doing personal training. We're testing concepts and we're testing research questions. Um, so the research questions that we, we've answered are, yeah, hypertrophy is not load dependent, meaning that you don't need high load or uh, high load to induce it. Strength uh, seems to be uh, gained best by training with a heavy weight and whatever you view as strength. So I think those are concepts. Now, if you were going to apply that to the general population or, or, or whoever wants to get bigger and stronger and you want and they want to do both, then I think the, the idea would be pick a, you know, eight to 12 RM and then train that. And then in the compound lifts that typically require a little bit more skill, then spend some time training closer to, you know, uh, the one RM. It doesn't have to be the one RM, but you should be training close to that. So that's how you take these concepts in my mind and apply them uh, to training an actual person. Um, I think that it is liberating in the sense that if you want to train for muscle growth, it really is preference. But if you want to train for maximum one arm strength, then you're going to need to be practicing that skill. Sure. Um, so maybe this is a good segue or maybe it's actually not a good segue, but, I'm, but I'll ask it anyway. Can you just uh, briefly outline your critiques of the periodization literature and first of all was that more was that critique more so when we are talking about strength or also for muscle growth <clears throat> yeah i think the i think this is i think one of the things that's happened is is that people take what they like to do and then they they try and mandate that it's absolutely necessary and not only is it necessary that you have to have it to to, to reach uh, so, you know, uh, high levels of muscle size, high levels of muscle strength. And if you don't periodize, then you're never going to reach that. Um, so I, I think that that requires a lot of evidence. If you're going to make those claims that optimal adaptation requires periodization. 
So I think the the first thing that I would say is is if listeners or, or coaches <clears throat> or whatever, if they prefer this periodized plan, if they if they like that periodization, meaning I, I had pre-planned changes in volume and uh, across training uh, blocks or uh, increases in intensity across training blocks, however you want to do that. If that's how you like to set up your programs, if that's how you like to train, if that makes the most sense to you, then by all means, continue to do that. I would never encourage people because there's not a lot of evidence for periodization not to do it. But I think that we have to be very critical when we make when 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 claims are made that it, you you require periodization. So when I talk about or when we've talked about periodization, we've talked about it in the context of muscle size and muscle strength. So the first one is: is there actual evidence that periodization is superior for changes in muscle size? Uh, as it relates to just normal, non-periodized progressive overload? And the answer is not really. There's some evidence that changes in, in lean mass are, are, are better, but then there's also studies that suggest that it's, it's not better. So when you actually look at studies that have measured muscle size through MRI, and there's not very many of them, the, the conclusion is, is that the change in muscle size is, is similar between uh, periodized versus non-periodized. And when I think about how a muscle grows, then that makes complete sense to me. I, I can't think of a reason why undulating volume across the day or across the session would, would, would maximize muscle growth. So I think that if that's what the individual likes to do and that makes the most sense for them long-term training, then do that. But I don't think that there's any evidence that says that uh, doing periodization gives you a superior muscle growth. I don't think that, that, that that's a thing. When we look at muscle strength, one of the things that seems to occur is that some people suggest that as you get to the end of the training session, the strength is greater in the periodization group. And if you look at the, the literature, especially on the, a lot of literature on the linear periodization, which is volume starts high and then progresses lower and the training load increases across the training cycle, I think if you look at this, the literature, I think you're going to walk away with the conclusion that, yeah, there's a, quite a bit of studies that suggest that with strength, Muscle strength is a little bit higher in a periodization group compared to the just the traditional uh, non-periodized progressive overload group. But what we would suggest is is that maybe that's probably explained uh, by the group is is practicing the lift. So you have one group that's throughout the whole training session training three sets of six to ten. So that they're training that for let's say twelve weeks, whereas the other group starts off with three sets of twelve, but then progresses down to lifting three sets of three, and then you test them and who can lift the one RM the best. So I think it makes a lot of sense that the group that's been training closer to the 1RM might have a little bit better practice. It might be a little bit better at the 1RM. So I think that when we think about those two variables, muscle growth, is it superior? It doesn't seem to be. Muscle strength, is it superior? It doesn't seem to be in and of itself. It seems like it's just that they've been practicing closer to the, to the 1RM. Now, when we think about athletics and sports teams and when you have, to, when you have competitions, you have practice, uh, you have training. I, I think that maybe it makes sense to do some periodization. Is there any evidence that it's superior? No, but it doesn't mean that it can't have some some practical application. But I think that our point is is that when when the when it's when it's stated that in order to see optimal changes in muscle growth, in order to see optimal changes in muscle strength, that you have to have some preset you know precise manipulation of variables. I don't think that that's true, and I don't think that there's really good evidence to suggest that it's true. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that I, w I always wondered, and, and I don't mean this in any way critical 
towards um, Eric Helms, from whom I, I've seen this model of periodizing, which is you start out with a load and you do, let's say, three sets of 10, then next week you do three sets of eight, then you do three sets of six, and you increase the weight, then you take a deload, and then you start with a higher weight. And I always kind of wondered, is it, assuming that you indeed will be able to do those initial three sets of 10 with a higher weight after the deload, is it actually just simply a matter of just getting stronger at that point? Um, because at that point, maybe you're advanced enough that you don't make week-to-week -week strength increases and you simply need to actually wait four weeks until you get to add five pounds to the bar. So is it simply a matter of just waiting for that long and this decrease in rep numbers is just a matter of just kind of keeping yourself occupied in some way and not get frustrated that you're lifting the same reps and the same weight week to week to week or the actual periodization is doing something or like you're saying you're actually getting stronger because you just decreased your rep numbers uh, over the weeks and you just got practice with um, more heavy lifting yeah i mean i don't know and i think the i think the just the the to take that concept and apply it into practice is just suggesting that if the if your test of strength is a one RM, then you need to be training. You know, you need to be spending some time training close to that one RM. Because when we look at low load exercise to failure, we see the same muscle growth as we do uh, with high load exercise. But when we look at the one RM, it usually gets beat pretty bad. Meaning that the they it does increase one RM, but not nearly as much um, depending on how many times it's practiced as the high load group. So to me, I think that just suggests that um, if you're if you're powerlifting, um, which requires a big one RM, and all you're doing is high reps, then you're going to lose uh, unless you're just freakishly strong. Mm -hmm. On the strength and size relationship thing, um, how would you like? What would be your explanation for the um, kind of commonly observed phenomenon that if you look at any kind of big guy, it they will pretty typically be pretty strong as well, even if they don't uh, train for strength. So we see these huge bodybuilders who never lift anything below 15 reps, and eventually they will be doing 15 reps with like, you know, 400 pounds or something. So, um, and, and, and on top of that, um, there is some studies that I've seen or at least heard being referred to where there is a really strong correlation at, with elite level power lifters between lean mass and strength. Yeah. So I think that we have to keep in mind a couple things. One, I, I really do agree with you that uh, bigger people on average are stronger. But I think that we have to keep in mind that that's not really the question that we're asking. The question that we're asking is not uh, the, is a big person stronger, but when a person starts lifting weights and they increase strength, is that increase in strength due to the increase in muscle size? That's the question that we're addressing. Um, and I think that this question will never be answered by correlation ever because sure. if we look at some of the studies that we've designed where we have an increase in muscle size uh, and an increase in strength, the correlation of that change is very high, which is what you suggest. But when we look at the other group where we designed the group to increase strength but no change in muscle size, the strength is the same. So they increased strength the same amount. They saw no muscle growth. There is no correlation. So if all we did was look at that one group, which is the group that everybody looks at, then we would, of course, suggest that, yeah, there's a high correlation there. 
But I don't know that that should be a surprise that there's a correlation when two variables uh, are designed to increase. So I think that um, I think we have to make sure we know what we're asking and, and what question people are talking about. And when you mentioned the the study of the elite powerlifters, um, that's a study from our group. We we did, we we ran that analysis. We wrote that paper. That is not on why people get stronger. That's on a cross-sectional study that can't answer this question. So I think that that's one of the things that we have to keep in mind. Um, what, what question is actually being asked? Because I agree with you. In general, people who are bigger tend to be stronger, but that's not, what we're, that's not the question that's being asked. The question that's being asked is when a person lifts weights and they get better at lifting weights by getting stronger, why is that? Is it because of the change in muscle size? Or is, it, or is it neural? Or is it a change at the muscle level independent of the change in muscle size? We don't know. There's not a lot of good evidence for it. But I can tell you that you can run correlations all day. You can correlate any variable that you want. It will never be able to answer this question. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. And um, do you think, so So you, you did a study where people got stronger but no bigger. Do you think it would be possible to create a study hypothetically where people got bigger but not stronger? Would that be physiologically possible? Yes, that's been observed. Uh, and we've just finished a study. I don't want to talk about it too much because um, we're, we're in the stages of writing it up, but we, we've observed something very similar to that as well, where we stimulate muscle growth, no change in strength. And that, that's been observed by other people too, doing body weight exercise and things like that. So I think that this is a, this is a, a tough conversation for, to have with most people because I think in general, People go to the gym and, and when they train, they get bigger and stronger. And they go, why does it even matter? Well, it matters because we're answering research questions. I, I totally agree that most people are going to increase both. But that, does, that, that doesn't get at answering why people get stronger. So if we look at, you know, Ronnie Coleman, you know, like drugs aside and everything, or just some big dude who is really big and is lifting, I don't know, 300 pounds for 12 reps, which is obviously a strong bench. Um, would your hypothesis be or theory be something like, well, he got big because he was training close-ish to failure for a long time and he's been exerting himself in the gym through some mechanism and he has gotten to that strong bench level for those high reps because of specificity of training and he just practiced a lot lifting those high reps with the bench and eventually he just got stronger with that rep range. I mean, I, I, I think that sounds reasonable, don't you? No, it, it does. Probably it goes against with, um, with how most people would describe it. Probably most people would say that he has trained close to failure. He increased his muscle size. And through some neural learning and through the increase of muscles, his muscles getting bigger, he, the muscles through the bigger cross-sectional area, they gain the ability to lift those heavy weights. Let me ask you a question, because this is something that I, I think is worth asking. What... Why do you think that people think that a change in muscle size produces the change in muscle strength? Where does that come from? As for what the origin yeah, of that theory is? Why do people think this? I, I wouldn't know what the exact tipping point was. I just know the would think that it's just a general theory which seemed to make sense on a mechanistic level. That a, a bigger, so if, if a muscle is bigger in cross-sectional area, it also has a bigger uh, force production ability. Yeah, and I, I, would, I, I would suggest that that's where a lot of people think it came from is that this, this strong relationship at baseline. But I, 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 what I find interesting is, is that, especially in the industry, you talked earlier about um, how the industry opposes many of the things that I say. Um, but what I find most interesting is that in the industry, 
many of these individuals um, speak openly and correctly about uh, correlations not being able to dictate causation. They, they, can't, they can't go five seconds without saying it. <laughs> but when it comes to this variable, it, it's king. And, and, it's, and you can't criticize it. And you can't bring it up. That's what I find interesting. So on one hand, they, they, they are able to um, totally correctly denounce other ideas because of correlations. Uh, correlation is not causation. But on this idea, the, it, it's, it becomes unquestionable for some reason. That's what I find fascinating. Mm. And uh, do you think that with enough studies, it would be possible to entirely disprove this notion? I think, it's, uh, I think it should be said that this is a tough thing to answer. Very tough. And I, and I totally understand why people think that uh, a change in muscle size produces a change in muscle strength. I, I totally get that. Um, but I, I do think that if, you, if we have enough studies, and I, I think over time, I think that maybe change the, if, it, if it is true um, or, or if it's not true, then that will eventually change in due course. But I don't want people to, to misconstrue that I think that people who think this are somehow not scientists or they're not smart or they're not intelligent. I think there's a lot of reasons to think that muscle growth produces strength. And I totally understand that argument. I just don't think that there's any direct evidence to suggest that, that it does. And I don't think that the, the studies that have been designed to answer the question, they actually don't find any benefit to that muscle growth. So it's not to say that I don't understand where they're coming from. I totally do. But I think at some point we have to ask the question, where is the experimental evidence for this? Because right. everybody knows, everybody agrees that a person can get stronger without increasing muscle size. We also have observed that an increase in muscle size that is an additive to an increase in strength. And there are studies that suggest that a complete loss of the exercise-induced change in muscle size has no effect on strength. So I, I don't think that we can forget that. And I, I think we have to keep those things in mind that when we're actually manipulating muscle growth, it's not really having a large impact on strength. So I, I think, to your point, I, I do think, given enough time, if we are correct, then, then I think that people will start to rethink it. But I, I do think it needs a lot more work, and I don't think it's settled. Yeah, I think that if there are, because you just mentioned that you are currently working on finishing up a study which observed an increase in muscle growth without an increase in strength, because I think that might be sort of the missing piece here, because I, I think it's relatively uh, undebated that you can get stronger especially with low reps or with a like a one RM or something without getting bigger. But I think the other, the converse is, is what's debated that you could, for example, get stronger with a, a 10 RM or could get bigger and not increase your 12 RM or something like that. Yeah. And I, again, I, I think this not only from us, but from other people as well, I think it needs, um, I, I think it's an interesting research question. And I think that it's just something that needs to continue to be addressed and, and thought critically about on both sides. I think that there are, are, are plenty of people who I respect, who are highly intelligent, who are great scientists who disagree with me. But I, I think that's um, what science is. And I think that in due course, I think both sides will continue to look at it and we'll try and figure it out. Great. No, um, I, I like that conclusion. I'm curious what's going to come out of this. Um, so Dr. Lenicky, I think I pretty much asked you all my questions. Um, so maybe a, like a summarizing thought to the end. Um, if someone wants to get as big as possible, do three, four sets per session, repeat that two, maybe three times per week, and 
train pretty close to failure, somewhere between 30 and 70% of 1RM, possibly heavier. Uh, is that a general pretty good conclusion to make? Yeah, I think that, and that's with respect to a muscle group, absolutely. And I think that if you want to increase strength and strength is a 1RM to you, I think that you need to spend some time. You don't have to spend all your time training close to the 1RM, but you should spend a decent amount of time training close to the 1RM, particularly um, in, in very skill lift like a squat that's you're going to need to spend some time lifting close to the one rm if to, to try and maximize that change in muscle strength but yeah no i, I think that that's uh, seems like a fair um, conclusion awesome perfect um is there anything else that you would like to mention that i maybe didn't touch on didn't ask you about no i, I think i just always like to conclude um acknowledging a lot of my collaborators and my students um i think that i've been very lucky here at the university of mississippi uh, to have really good students in my lab. I'm losing a lot of them this year. I, I graduated four PhD students. Um, mm -hmm. So losing four good PhD students, I'm bringing in two, uh, two new ones. Um, and I think that I, I'm very lucky to be able to sit around and talk, talk about these ideas, talk about science with, with every one of these guys uh, and, and girls every day. So I, I just feel very lucky. And I just want to always make sure that these ideas are not only mine. Um, I didn't come up with all of this on my own. This has been, these ideas have been, you know, kind of uh, really thought about in a group setting, in a team setting for a long time. So uh, I, I definitely couldn't do it without them. So I just want to acknowledge that as well. Awesome. Perfect. That's very uh, thoughtful of you to say. And um, yeah, so Dr. Lenny, can you just please uh, mention your resources or anything that you would like people to check out? Yeah, I just think that... Um, I don't really have resources. I don't sell anything. I just think that people should just continue to be skeptical and, and critical, not only of what they think, but also of what I think. I think that they should listen to what I say. And, and uh, I, I think it makes sense to be skeptical and critical of what I say as well. Uh, but you can follow uh, me or follow a lot of our work on Twitter or Instagram at J-P-L-O-E-N-N-E-K-E. -E -E, and that's probably the best place to communicate with me is on Twitter. Perfect. Awesome. Well, uh, Dr. Jeremy Lenneke, thank you for taking the time today. This was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. And once again, if you haven't checked it out already, be sure to visit the Sustainable Self-Development Facebook group at facebook.com slash sustainable self-development. And if you haven't done it already, visit sustainableselfdevelopment.com to be up to date with everything that we've got going on there. All right, thank you for hanging on up until now and see you in the next episode.